Hey everyone, it's James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, and welcome to my podcast. Get this, nearly 30,000 amazing followers on my social media channels, 21,700 plus at Notorious Banker on TikTok, 3,300 plus at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, and 4,200 plus at Notorious Banker on Instagram. I am the author of High Risk Transaction, The Ryan Coogler Bank of America Incident, now available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle format, and the author of a soon-to-be-released book about Zell. Guys, thank you so very much for your love and support. I really do appreciate it. And if I sound like I got a, a spring in my step, I do. It is it's cold in this podcast studio, a.k.a. my office, a.k.a. extra bedroom. It's, it's amazing, you know. I love New Mexico. I love New Mexico so much. This is the only state I've lived in, of course. But it is a beautiful place to live, but it is freaking hot. Most of the time, 100 degrees, 110 degree temperatures as I record the podcast, and my office is right in the sun. It's just baking in the sun as I talk to you during uh, May, June, July, and August. It's miserable to do the podcasts in the morning means I'm going to sweat a lot. Having the window open just makes it hotter, it seems like. Sometimes I have to do it with little clothes on. I'm just wearing a pair of gym shorts and a tank top while I'm doing a podcast. I'm not dressed up in a suit. Not that I need to be, but it gets miserable. And finally, 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 the weather took a turn. It was 60 degrees for the high last Monday. It was 60 degrees for the high this past Monday. I woke up um, to go to the grocery store this morning. It is 35 degrees. I was cold. I had a hoodie on. I was still cold. And, um, yeah, what can I say is I'm recording this podcast in this room. The door is open because my wife is at work right now. She's uh, usually fully remote, but now she is um, doing her little graduation fair thing. So she is away for the day. So I'm able to talk a little bit louder into the microphone as I record this Notorious Banker podcast. And like I said, I am freezing. It is invigorating, but I love it. A lot going on in the banking world um, the last week or so. I'm going to do one story about something that's kind of bank adjacent. And it's about Equifax. And of course, we know that Equifax has gone through their whole data compromise scandal thing. I'm still waiting on my payment for the class action lawsuit. Um, They had another story, which was interesting. They fired a bunch of employees for basically moonlighting. And I took this to heart. Because I didn't do two jobs whenever I worked at Bank of America. I had a couple co-workers that moonlighted in other jobs that were not bank-related. And they felt the wrath of that company. So I have a lot to say about that story. And I wanted to talk about it on this podcast because there's really nowhere else I'm going to be able to talk about it. And then also we're going to talk about Wells Fargo getting into the virtual assistant game. Of course, we got A-L-E-X-A. I can't say the full name because it'll trigger in my office here or G-O-O-G-L-E, virtual assistant, or Siri for that matter. Um, Bank of America has Erica, of course, and Wells Fargo has a new entry into the game. Wells Fargo is debuting the Fargo virtual assistant, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Not, you know, yeah, I want to make fun of the name, of course, but keeping up with the Joneses, virtual assistants on banking apps, do they really matter? Do they really help? I, I, I'm, I'm not certain they do. I, I just feel that it's just another way to create this humongous app that's just on your phone all the time and to you know make you engage with it more and more often. And basically, as a virtual reality or you know AI version of trying to oversell you on bullshit. I was never a fan of Erica whenever that came out, and I'm probably not going to be a fan of Fargo when this comes out. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But I want to talk about the Equifax thing. But I also do want to mention that Emily Flitter, um, writer for the New York Times, she's really good at what she does. She talks about banking a lot, of course. Uh, at Flitter on Fraud is her Twitter handle. She's announced a book about racism and banking that we did a podcast about over a year ago. And I've been waiting for the day that it came out. And it came out today. And it's talking about all the things that we've talked about in this podcast. Of course, the 2020 uh, pledges that banks did um, to combat inequality in banking and then of course we have the ryan coogler incident which of course i'm an author of a book about and various other things including you know banks ties to the slave trade and whatnot it's it's crazy shit and it's it's all in a big giant book that i can't wait to read i'm going to link to it in the show notes i want you to purchase this book um 
haven't read it yet, but I'm giving it my endorsement because I know the stories that Emily um, writes about are stories that, one, kind of fuel this podcast, and two, it piques the interest of a lot of my followers. So, you know, invest the $28 for the hardcover, or, you know, if, barring that, invest the $14 to um, get the Kindle version of that. And in my experience, it tends to be that the ebook actually generates more income for the author than the hardcover. Um, I've been wanting to do a hardcover book for a long time, but they're fucking expensive to print, and you make very little money um, at the at the back end of that. So if you put a book out there for thirty dollars, you're probably making fifteen percent of that. With a with a digital copy of the book, you're making a little bit more. So I, I recommend doing that. Um, and like I said, Emily is a pretty great writer. I've interacted with her a time or two. Um, one of the things that, and I, I, just, I don't want to get off at a rant here, but one of the things that I've noticed about people who write about big banks, um, you know, and all the major publications is there's a certain group of them that don't seem to want to be on the side of exposing what's wrong in banking there's people who, you know, who will follow me and they'll engage with me. And they'll ask me questions on DMs about what do I think about this, what do I think about that. And it really seems that they have a genuine interest in what's going on. Um, I can tell you that there's a lot of writers um, and publications that talk about banking and finance and whatnot that do not give two shits. And, and I tend to steer clear from those people because I want them to have the same passion that I do whenever I'm talking about this stuff. And I, I know it's, I don't want them to be biased towards me. I want them to be fair and objective. But at the same time, you know, and if you're covering the banking beat, I want you to immerse yourself in it. And I want you to talk about the things, whether they're good or whether they're bad about banking. And I feel Emily is one of those people. I haven't interacted with her on a one-to-one -one basis that much. But I do feel that she is on that page. There's a couple of people. Um, there was one person at the New York Times I was not a, a big fan of because it just felt like... If, if it wasn't handed to them on a silver platter, they wouldn't do a story about it. Do the deep dives. Do the investigations. I've always wondered, why doesn't a reporter discuss the Notorious Banker Project? Because of the work that I do, the interesting work that I do. I mean, I know I'm tooting my own horn here, but, you know, I have a story to tell and I can't wait to tell it. And I'm going to tell it in many parts and I really think you're going to enjoy it. Um, but whenever someone doesn't find interest in even what I do and that pretty much tells me they don't find interest in this subject at all because I talk about the things that, that people should be talking about with banking and I, I do feel Emily is doing that um, of course you know whenever you work for one of the biggest papers in the world it's a whole other level of, of journalism there so I know that she probably doesn't have enough time to talk about the little minute things that we talk about such as this podcast um, but I can tell you that this book that is coming out, that is out now, is important. I really want you to check it out because I want you to have a conversation, even if you don't agree with some of the things in there. Um, and and I'm going to tell you, I probably will agree with 95% of it just because I know the subject matter. But even if you don't agree with it, I want you to have that conversation because I want you to hear another perspective. That is the problem with the world today is we don't listen to the other side. We make, you know, make our own judgments and determinations and opinions, and then that's it. That's the end of the conversation. No, it's more to it than that. I want you to have discussions. I want you to feel what I feel about this particular subject that I love. I believe Emily feels that way, and of course I do. So uh, pick up The White Wall, now available in bookstores, and I will link to the Amazon portion of it in the show notes. Talk about Equifax after we come back, so please stick around. James Bach, a known professionally as a notorious banker, inviting you to go to my website, thenotoriousbanker.com. Okay, it's not a real website, it's just a domain name that forwards to a link tree, but on that link tree, you're going to see all of my links to all of my social media content on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. You're going to find links to the books that I have written on Amazon, and of course, you're going to find this podcast as well, and any other additional content that I may decide to do in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. But that domain name is going to stay the same, my friends, because I paid for it for a few years. That's www.thenotoriousbanker, all one word, dot com. All right, everyone, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. 
So I saw a story that really piqued my interest the other day, and it, uh, it pissed me off, to be quite frank with you, um, because it gave me some PTSD with some former co-workers of mine while I worked at Bank of America. Now, look, it's 2022, and, you know, depending on where you hear from, these are some unprecedented tough times going on in the world. We're two years past COVID. Um, you know, of course, the workplace is, is back to normal for the most part in most places. Yeah, of course, we can't go to Walmart at 3 in the morning anymore or the grocery store at 11 p.m. like I used to love to do. But we, we are slowly but surely seeing things get back to normal after a few years of what the shit is going on. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, we've noticed, of course, and this goes with home prices going up. It goes with the cost of living going up, you know, and, and it's the little things, you know, chicken went up from $1.99 a pound to two ninety nine a pound. The fucking water dispenser where I get my five gallon jugs of water filled went from 30 cents a gallon to 50 cents a gallon. And while 50 cents, 50 cents is not a lot of money, okay, 50 cents is, you know, you can find that on the ground if you're looking hard enough most of the time. That does represent a nearly, you know doubling of the cost of freaking bottled water for god's sakes and that's that's ridiculous to me you know the cost of water does not go up by a hundred percent unless someone wants it to go up 100 percent. so little nickels and dimes and things like that mean that people have less and less money so what a lot of people are doing and especially learning from um remote work is that they're able to multitask you know banks and big companies really work you to the bone to be honest with you they show you how to make the most with as little as possible i.e you know two checkout clerks at walmart while there's 40 lanes because they want the other 38 lanes to be self-checkout and want the customers to be self-sufficient enough to do that i understand that i get that i don't have to like it but i understand why they do it so you know people understand that you make you know something out of nothing and banks are really good at that too but employees got, you know, got the hang of that and said, hey, you know what, I can do this job at this company and I can still kill it with a second job somewhere else. I am more than capable of doing two jobs at once, save that money so I can buy myself a nice freaking house, have a nice freaking retirement and live happily ever after. As the Lee Corso, the host of College Game Day on ESPN says, not so fast, my friend. Equifax, yeah, Equifax of the data breach, Equifax of the basically controlling your life by some fucking number next to your name is waging war on employees working second jobs. This link is from Gizmodo, a link to in the show notes. There was a business insider or just insider link that I would link to, but it's subscriber only. And if you want to check that out, just Google search that. It's hard for me to put paywall stuff on there sometimes when I'm doing these podcasts because I want the most amount of people to understand what I'm talking about as they talk about it. But waging war on employees working second jobs. The credit reporting agency fired 24 remote employees based on employment records collected by Equifax software. So I'm going to read this to you and give you my opinion on it. It says, Equifax is sending a message to its workforce by firing at least two dozen of them. The company has allegedly used its own software to identify remote employees working another full-time job while employed by Equifax. The firing of 24 remote employees from Equifax's workforce is the result of a months-long internal investigation by the company. The company allegedly looked through the records of at least 1,000 employees, including HR and cybersecurity professionals, using its own software called the Work Number. And here's the thing, if you work for a big company, and I'm sure a lot of you who listen to this do, there's shit that tracks your every move. I've told you about me getting nearly fired for hitting the F11 button too much, for God's sakes. Every step you take, every move you make, every claim you stake, they will be watching you, okay? And my thing with that is, it's fine. It's their company, they want to monitor to mitigate losses, mitigate risk. I understand that. But to basically cannibalize your workforce into finding out if they're moonlighting on you, that's that's a little weird, okay? That's just a little bit too big brothery for me. Equifax touts the work number, the software in question, as, quote, 
the country's largest centralized commercial database of income and employment information on its website. A statement which is as much vague as it is Orwellian. There you go, Orwellian, big brother. Employees were notified of their colleagues' termination via an email from Equifax CEO Mark Baker, or Bigor, which was obtained by Insider. And see, the fact that they announced it via company-wide email shows you they got no fucking chill. That is crazy. And um, this is what the email said, and quote, I'm going to do my bank voice here because this asshole might as well just be a banker. <clears throat> we expect our team to be fully dedicated to EFX and have one role, their job at EFX, Bigger wrote in the email, where EFX refers to Equifax. I am sure you're as disappointed as I am. The balls on these people, man, the balls on these people. We're not. Apparently 25, 25 employees were interviewed by the company and all but one were terminated Whoever the fuck that was is the lucky dog. That's all I got to say. Saving the company $3.2 million. Oh, $3.2 million? Hundreds of millions, billions of dollars of losses based on the Equifax scandal. And $3.2 million is all they saved? I, I can't even do the math. What's that? 3.2 divided by 24? It's like $100,000 an employee. It's a pretty nice pay. And they were moonlighting? That's crazy. The investigation, which had cheeky nicknames like Project Home Alone, and Project Page 12 also rely on data that consisted of manager feedback, low VPN usage, and periods throughout the day where a worker was unavailable. Now, see, the, the unavailable thing is kind of weird because what if you have a breastfeeding um, employee, you know, someone who needs to feed their kid? What if you have someone who has to take medication or something? I you know, That one is kind of sketchy to me. The low VPN usage, and of course you use a VPN whenever you're doing software for a big company and you're working remote. My wife does that with her university job. And I do know that a lot of the call center people who do that have a VPN that they do as well. 13 hours per work week. Well, there it, it reminds me of you know going to middle school, high school, where I used to get penalized. And this actually made me hate middle school. This actually made me hate high school, and it made me want to be truant. And I was truant for a long time when I was a kid. Whenever they would give a test and say, you have 60 minutes to do a test. Well, I wasn't like egghead smart, like Mensa smart, but I was bright. And I can finish a 60-minute test in 15 minutes. I would turn in the test. I know that everything was right. And I'd get like five points deducted from my test because I turned it in too early. James, you need to take your time. Yet all the questions were answered correctly. Everything was done correctly, but I get penalized for finishing too early. The low VPN usage thing is a little weird to me because they say less than 13 hours per work week. Well, if you can finish everything that's required of you in a short amount of time and say you're salaried, well, what the fuck? Like, what, what do you want? I guess the one thing that these people can do is, hey, boss, do you have anything else for me? But I guess that would kind of cut into their second job time. So I understand that kind of from Equifax's um, perspective. And then manager feedback, as I mentioned with work from home stuff on this podcast before, you know, you, you know, bank managers especially love to put their fingerprints on everything. They love to, they love to micromanage like no other. I'm sure this company is no different. So whenever you have someone who's not as hands-on face-to-face with an employee, I feel that they're going to be a little bit more ham-handed with leaving bad feedback on you, even though you might be hundreds of miles away. And that's the thing that kind of bugs me. The Project Home Alone thing is funny because I was literally talking to my wife about this a couple of days ago. Um, someone got arrested for, um, I, I God, I wish I knew what it was. There, there was, uh, oh, it was um, the NBA betting scandal. <laughs> I was watching the Netflix documentary on the Netflix betting scandal. I, you could tell that I'm not prepared with notes today. But Tim Donaghy, the referee um, that was in the NBA for 15 years, got arrested for basically gambling on his own games. Or if he wasn't gambling on his own games, he was giving them sensitive information, they being the mafia pronouns, my friend, which allowed them to gamble millions of dollars on NBA games thus basically making certain games fixed, in my opinion. Well, he was arrested under an, an operation called Operation Flagrant Foul. And I told my wife, I said, you know, if I ever get arrested by the Federales on something, and I don't know what, because I don't do anything, 
Um, I really hope it has a cool nickname to it. So Operation Flagrant Foul, Project Home Alone. It tells me that you put in effort to get rid of my ass. So if I ever were to be, you know, if I were ever to have handcuffs slapped on me, I want to have a cool nickname attached to my crime. Equifax spokesperson Kate Walker, and you know, we all know about these spokespeople and how lame they are. And this is what she said. <clears throat> Equifax followed all applicable laws in its handling of the situation. These employees were terminated because of multiple factors, yeah, sure, including in many cases their own admission that they had a secondary full-time position, which prevented them from fulfilling their full-time obligations to Equifax. Equifax told Insider that the incredibly detailed and sensitive data collected and stored on the work number isn't given out to third parties, and this is an opinion of the Gizmodo um, writer here, it's a really dystopian moment when the company behind it is using it to keep their own employees in line. So, I understand that part of it. I just feel that it, it, it reminds me of the Nexium sex call. You know, my wife, or, wife and I are watching season two of that documentary on HBO Max. And, you know, it was all about power. It was all about stealing sensitive information, getting deep into their thoughts and feelings. And then using that information to exploit the shit out of these people. And basically that's what Equifax is doing. They have all this sensitive data for all these people all across the world, all across the country, and including their own employees. And they're just looking at their own employees' stuff and basically saying, hey, this guy works at McDonald's too. He's fired. I'm sure they weren't working at McDonald's, but you get my point. You understand that it's it's a little weird that they just want to just pick on their own. And B of A is no different. Like... The one thing that used to scare the shit out of me was whenever one of my coworkers wanted to open up a new account, I would type in their name, I would type in their debit card, and I knew that my computer was going to trigger to someone in corporate security that I was looking at my coworkers' balances. And Bank of America had a way of eliminating the balances from your screen. That way you can't say, hey, I, my boss makes this much a week or a month, whatever. You you couldn't see that. And I'm fine with that. I I, I didn't mind. But I always used to get freaked out about they could use that against me if I was opening a checking account for one of my coworkers and they legitimately wanted to do that. The bank could always spin it saying, oh yeah, we had a report from one of his coworkers that he was opening up fake accounts. I mean, you know, using your own software and using your own policies against your employees is pretty ballsy and pretty gross in my opinion. But I, I do want to say I will side on Equifax on one thing here. And it's the quote that the spokesperson said, and I know you're freaking out. You're like, I'm agreeing with a spokesperson. Yeah, I am here for one one little part of it. Whenever um, Kate Walker says these employees were terminated because of multiple factors, I don't believe that for a second. I just believe that they were moonlighting. But if this was true, I would agree with it 100%. It says, admitting that they had a secondary full-time position, and then it says, which prevented them from fulfilling their full-time obligations to Equifax. So, did they admit that they couldn't do their job in total because of that second job? Or is that Equifax's opinion that they couldn't fulfill their full-time obligations? And if that's the case, where's the proof in that? That Were they missing assignments? Was some of their assignments just kind of half-assed? If they did their job in full, what you do in your free time really shouldn't be an issue, in my opinion. I know every company is different. I know some companies don't want you to moonlight, and I'll get to that in a second. But in these crazy times, especially with a company that you know discusses your credit score, which basically is life or death, whether you should buy a house, a car, paying a shit ton of money for those items, and in some cases being able to rent an apartment, and in some cases being able to even work at like the dollar store because some places do a credit check of you whenever you apply for jobs. Um, I think that's crazy. I think that's super duper big brother and that scares the shit out of me to be frank with you because we don't know if their full, full-time obligations were being fulfilled or not. That's just what Equifax is saying. If that's the statement they're putting out, well, we don't know if they're being entirely honest about that. I don't think they are. I think you have some really, like I said, efficient employees who learn how to work under duress and under the, that stress of having to deal with so much bullshit and working with little to no help, you know, from your supervisors, maxing out what they can do, making the most of it, and then becoming super duper efficient to where it's like that awesome single mom, you know, the Lady Madonna of the Beatles fame where 
baby's at her breast and she's, you know, managing to vacuum the floors and whatnot. <laughs> you know, like, being able to feed your child, vacuum the floors, cook dinner, talk on the phone with your mom, you know. like People like that impress me. Parents like that impress the shit out of me. And I know people can do it. There's some people who could just multitask like no other. I was good at it at Bank of America. I'm not so good at it now. So it's all subjective. And you know what? If if Equax had something in their in their policy, I'd say, hey, you know what? If we find out you have a second job, you're fired. And just put it out there. Put it out there. That's fine. So there's only one place that I would say that, hey, you know what? Maybe they're in the right here. And that's if they work for a competitor. If I worked at B of A and all of a sudden I had a second job kind of just being a part-time teller at Wells Fargo, I understand that. I understand why B of A wouldn't want me to do that. But other than that, no. No, this is just wrong and this is just you know heavy-handed from Equifax. And it just leads to a lot of ethical questions like using your own software to basically spy on your employees. You know, there's the whole thing where, okay, let's say you have an adult kid in a house and he's smoking a cigarette in his bedroom. And you go, are you smoking in there? No, I'm not smoking in there. But then all of a sudden, you put hidden cameras in their room, and you're peeking through their door to see if they're smoking to bust them. Yes, I understand it's your house, but at the same time, I am an adult. I, I'm not a child anymore. I don't need this invasion of privacy, okay? If I lie and said no, well, then you can call me a liar, but that doesn't give you the right to spy on me can't believe I'm defending smokers in this point. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's it's just funny that, you know, it's Equifax is the overbearing mom here. It's my way or the highway. You know, either you live in my house in my with my rules or you don't live here at all. And in these crazy times where people are just spending, you know, so much time worrying about the bills, trying to find a second way to, to pay for things, Equifax is just saying, no, you can't do that, period. So this leads me to just kind of uh, an example that I'm going to use kind of loosely here. And it just reminded me a lot of my B of A days. There was two instances where I had coworkers moonlighting um, on the job. And, and it was interesting to me. So first off was my first coworker, well, not my first coworker, but one of my first coworkers, um, Michelle back home in Socorro, New Mexico. And she was an awesome person to work with. She was probably my best friend in Socorro in the couple of years that we worked together. Just because I grew up with girls like her and I, I knew I knew what she was like, you know, the second that I met her and I just kinda get along with that type of woman. Anyway, she she was a hard worker, you know, she worked hard at B of A as a teller. You know, young younger person. She was in her early twenties at that time, and she decided to work at K Bob's. K Bob's being a local New Mexico, Texas, Arizona area chain of steakhouses. There's not that many anymore. I think they filed for bankruptcy or something. But um, you know, they had the salad wagon. They had the sixteen ounce, you know, sirloin steaks, whatever. It was it was good food for that area. To have a steakhouse in that town was just great to have because you didn't really see that a lot so you know she just wanted to work she had bought a car wanted to pay that sucker off fast so she got a job as a waitress because she used to wait tables um before she worked at the bank um from like six o'clock at night till 11 o'clock at night something like that maybe it was a few days a week but there's a lot of times she would leave the bank go home and just change into some more comfy clothes and go be a waitress for a few hours and make some tips. Well, my boss, Emmy, who was a very nice person, in fact, she probably is the only reason I survived at Bank of America for as long as I did, um, caught wind of the fact that she worked at K-Bob's Steakhouse, which was, it's a small town, everyone knows everything. So she found out, and she literally just laid the smack down on her, reporting her to advice and counsel basically saying that she was violating the terms of her Bank of America contract and whatever. And I remember we went to Arby's one Saturday because we used to go out every Saturday afternoon and just talk about how shitty work can be because we weren't allowed to talk inside the branch. We were not allowed to communicate other than bank shit to each other inside the branch. So we would talk about all the things going on. And she basically told me, Michelle did, 
yeah, they told me that working at K-Bob's as a waitress was a conflict of interest. A steakhouse and a bank. There's no conflict there. In fact, it is probably better for Bank of America business that you have someone who works at a bank work as a waitress and all of a sudden say, hey, you know, just to let you know, I work at Bank of America too. If you ever need anything, come see us over there. And then, you know, you see that in a plane go, wow, that person's a real go-getter. They're a waitress and a banker. That's crazy. And Bank of America nearly fired her for that, okay? Bank of America nearly fired her for that because they said that her waitressing job, which her job was literally handing people fucking beef on a plate, beef and mashed potatoes and corn and, and rolls that were not buttery, that constituted breaking Bank of America privacy and, you know, violating the sanctity of the workplace at Bank of America because she handed people dead cow on a fucking plate. It's ridiculous. And I I just remember being so mad for her. And, you know, I was young at the time, so I didn't really know how to kind of manifest that anger. But I'm like, what the hell? Like, I, I know how lazy I am. I know how hard it is for me to work 25 hours a week while going to school as a part-time bank teller. But she was working 30 or 40 hours a week as a bank teller and then another 20 to 30 as a waitress. I'm like, we need to applaud people like that. This was in 2007 pre-crash, pre-economy going to shit. So for the bank to basically say that it was a conflict of interest, that basically you're looking out for the steakhouse's interest more than you are a $270 billion corporation with 204,000 employees. Well, I, I don't know what to say. And I, and, 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 but I will say this, okay? For a company that really, really, you know, jerks itself off basically saying, hey, look how great we are to women and people of color. They really treat the women in the lower end of things like shit, okay? They really do. Reason number two, my old coworker, Annette. Annette and I have had a tumultuous past. And that of which I really do want to write a book or a screenplay about. I really think my life in banking... Um, would make a good TV show or a movie. Plus, the interpersonal relationships that I had, especially with that woman, I I really think that is Netflix worthy. I really do. It was just such a bizarre relationship. And while her and I are no longer on speaking terms, I still tell this story because it just upsets me so much what happened to her. She liked to bake. She learned how to bake um, through YouTube videos. And she, you know, wasn't good at it, and she became good at it, and she started baking cakes on the side. And it was mainly for, you know, friends and family and whatnot. 50 bucks here, 50 bucks there. It was more just to pass the time. And then all of a sudden, she got really good at cupcakes and, and creating these different flavored cupcakes. I was the recipient of a lot of them. And, you know, I was grateful and thankful for it. So she decided that she wanted to get into a business venture and try to sell these cupcakes commercially. So she entered into an agreement with um, a person that operated a little burrito restaurant that's inside these gas stations here called Santa Fe Grill. And basically they were selling four packs of her cupcakes for $6 um, right there, right next to the, the burrito, like the take-home burritos and whatnot. And it was called Cutesy Cakes. And it was it was a good little business for her, you know. I don't know if she was making a lot of money, but it, it's cool to say that you're a small business owner, okay? It, it really is. And, you know, cupcakes were amazing. You know, she was amazing at it. But at the same time, my boss, Diane, who, who I, I, I love for an entirely different reason than my last boss. She gave me so much shit, but I appreciate it over the years. She caught wind of the fact that Annette was making cupcakes. And she called advice and counsel on her. They had a bad relationship. I It just was inevitable that she was going to get fired one day, and she did. Not because of that, but about six months later, she did. And basically what happened, and, and this is crazy to me, she got a final warning, and I saw the final written warning that she got. And basically, Bank of America accused her of using her, her power, her great power at Bank of America to leverage and negotiate business deals for fucking cupcakes. So first of all, the company that she worked with to put the cupcakes on the shelf 
they were not Bank of America customers. In fact, they were customers of a local bank, and I had had this discussion with the brother of the owner of this place, and he basically said, we fucking hate Bank of America. <laughs> he told me straight up, because, of course, I was asking for his business. And, yeah, so he was not a customer. There was no leveraging of that, because they weren't there to leverage that, and their tellers said, oh, hey, got this burgeoning cupcake business would you like to partner up it didn't happen that way because they were not there anything that she did she did outside the bank's four walls but the bank accused her of basically saying because she has such prominence <laughs> because she works at bank of america it's just basically a company saying look what we made you we can fucking break you too it's like look we put you on a pedestal on that you're a teller supervisor oh you're responsible for four single moms who are bank tellers making ten dollars an hour Oh, yeah, you're basically the CEO. Basically saying that she used her, her office, her chair, to get this cupcake deal. And I, it sounds stupid, but I'm telling you the truth. And they gave her a final warning, saying that she needs to discontinue the business or she's going to lose her job. Of course she's going to discontinue the business because she wanted to have that steady income. And guess what? They fired her anyway. But the fact that they basically told her she's going to be fired for something that she did as a hobby on her off hours. She wasn't, she didn't have cakes in the oven while at work. She had cakes in the oven when she got out of work and someone exchanged, you know, legal tender for those cakes. And all of a sudden she's in violation of this crazy rule bank of America. She wasn't giving insider tips to Goldman Sachs. She was making peanut butter and jelly cupcakes and putting them in a plastic blister pack and putting them next to the beef and bean burritos. And that that negativity was just there. She had checked out. She just didn't want to work there anymore. And I will be frank with you. I was probably the only reason that she continued to work there. Long, complicated story. Probably on Netflix one of these days. But all I got to say is, you know, it sucked for her. A waitress and someone who makes cupcakes... They're going to be a detriment to Bank of America National Association. Equifax basically punishing people for moonlighting. And I wish, I wish I knew what these people who got fired from Equifax did. Like what other jobs they had. What if one of them was a janitor? What if one of them was just cleaning up shitty toilets? Are you going to really fire that person for that? If they're doing something with a competitor or someone who's actually in direct competition with you, like a transunion or whatever, then I understand. But if it has no direct ties to you, then it's basically telling me you were just looking for blood. Two years of pandemic remote work bullshit. And you just said, you know what? I want to just fire a bunch of people just for because I don't fucking like what they do. And that's what Equifax did. I don't know what to say about this other than this is something that I felt. I Like I told you, I told you those two stories because after 15 years, they're still burned in my brain. And and like I said, I know that that's an issue with bigger companies and higher offices, whatever. But we're talking peanuts here, whatever what I was talking about, and they were still getting picked on. Equifax has a long way to go before they achieve relevancy in my brain again, because of the shit that they do. You know the data breach thing, the fact that they were fighting the settlement for that, and and that's all coming to a head really soon too. But the fact of the matter is this, okay, they have an obligation to the consumer to protect their information. They failed there. They have, a, a, you know, this connection with the consumer to say, hey, we're going to give you the best shot to buy your home and buy a car by judging you based on the actions that you do. Consequently, the actions that their employees did, Equifax kind of spied on them and said, we don't like what you do. Get the fuck out of here. And then the, the next time they apply for another job, well, why did you leave Equifax? Yeah, I was fired. Why? Insubordination. Give me a fucking break, okay? All I can tell you is Equifax, you need to get your shit together. This is just wrong on so many levels. I'll be right back with the Wells Fargo virtual assistant right after this, so please stick around. James Bach, a known professionally as a notorious banker, inviting you to go to my website, thenotoriousbanker.com. Okay, it's not a real website, it's just a domain name that forwards to a link tree, but on that link tree, you're going to see all of my links to all of my social media content. 
on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. You're going to find links to the books that I have written on Amazon. And of course, you're going to find this podcast as well. And any other additional content that I may decide to do in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. But that domain name is going to stay the same, my friends, because I paid for it for a few years. That's www.thenotoriousbanker, all one word, dot com. All right, and we're back to wrap it up here with the Notorious Banker. I just wanted to touch on one thing that I read yesterday, and it just made me laugh um, because of its lack of lack of cleverness, despite the fact Forbes likes to think it's the most fucking clever thing in the world. Wells Fargo launches virtual assistant, cleverly named Fargo. Actually, that's the least clever name ever. They could have called it Wells. They could have called it Fargo. They could have called it just Wells Fargo. They didn't have to call it anything. They could just have a button that's the virtual assistant. Just to do the, you know, the voice command thing, it's just, it's just lazy to me. But the fact that they launched virtual assistant, you know, I saw the press releases and everything going out. I'm like, does it really matter to people? There's so many apps that have these, you know, virtual assistants now. And it's not, it's not a new thing. It's just like the banks are getting in on a trend that's five years old already. And and the biggest part of the virtual assistant launch was the fact that they had a partnership with G-O-O-G-L-E. I don't want to spell it out because it's going to trigger my device here. It says, Wells Fargo will use Google technology in launching a new virtual assistant set to roll out to customers in the coming months. The service, called Fargo, will be similar to Erica, the virtual assistant at Bank of America. It'll use Dialogflow, Google Cloud's conversational AI platform to provide a more personalized, convenient, and simple banking experience, primarily for mobile users. Michelle Moore, the head of digital for consumer and wealth and investment management at Wells Fargo, tried to fit that in the business card, said this, and I'm going to use my banker voice, of course. As mobile banking has become Wells Fargo customers' most preferred way to bank, we will continue to innovate in collaboration with strategic partners like Google Cloud to prevent customer experiences that motivate and support them on their financial journeys. This partnership will expand our customers' digital financial support network by enabling meaningful money conversations conveniently from their mobile device. Um, the funny thing about the Forbes article linked to in the show notes is they're just talking shit on the article too. It's like, yeah, some of the functionality is underwhelming, such as the ability to turn debit cards off and on. Something simple offered through a mobile phone several years ago. You may say it's underwhelming, but the fact of the matter is this. The fact that Wells didn't have that until now blows my mind, okay? That's a way of preventing fraud. They didn't have the easiest way of preventing fraud on their app before this Fargo virtual assistant. Give me a break. You talk about wanting to mitigate risk and fraud. The fact that you couldn't turn your cards off or on, a feature that, that, as they said, Simple had years ago, Discover Card, American Express had, it just blows my mind. And then it says, a study that Ipsos conducted for Wells Fargo said that widespread acceptance of virtual assistance, found widespread acceptance of virtual assistance. It reported that two-thirds of millennials and Gen Z respondents preferred to use a virtual assistant for customer service needs rather than waiting for a customer service rep on the phone. Oh, I'm sure that was fucking music to the ears of Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and other big companies, right? Like, oh yeah, they don't want to talk to real people. So yeah, so lay this whole call center off, please. And, you know, the millennials and Gen Z, I'm a millennial, Gen Z is a little bit younger than me. It's true. Like, these people do not know how to interact with other people. You see all these Karen videos on TikTok. You see all these customer service issues and customers going crazy and, you know, all the all the stuff, you know, people interacting with one another. It's crazy how we can't interact as human beings anymore with one another. It blows my mind. I'm the shyest fucking person in the world, and it blows my mind how how awkward these conversations are between people. It says, most who have used virtual assistants repeat, reported a favorable, favorable experience, and 70% cited saving time as a top benefit the same as two years ago. The survey also asked why, about why users might, users might prefer a real person on the call. The perceived strength of human representatives as they understand the customer's emotions, I agree with that 1 million percent. Handle complex questions, I agree with that. There's no algorithm again that can break down something that happens in real time and you have to deal with it and learn from mistakes that you make. Answer questions accurately. I can tell you Erica from Bank of America does not do that. And provide peace of mind. I don't need a virtual assistant to provide me peace of mind. I need the numbers too. I need the 
the actions to. 38% noted that talking to a person gives the customer control over their service experience, a point apt to resonate with people who have found themselves shouting in frustration at an automated virtual system that can't understand a simple request. The one thing that I can tell you that I've learned from having a G-O-O-G-L-E or an A-L-E-X-A in my house is it's allowed me to enunciate better. I did talk with a bit of an accent and I did talk a little fast, so sometimes it is a little bit hard to hear me distinctly and clearly. But if I had to say A-L-E-X-A, turn on the lights to 50% brightness, please. You, you, I, I sound like a news anchor. It's like, yes, can you turn the bedroom lights off, please? You know, it's that, that affectatious like, sound. It's just weird, but it, it allows me to understand that I need to talk clearer. And I know people shout at those things whenever it doesn't go right to them. And it's because we've become lazy talkers, too. It says the bank appears to be starting small but plans to evolve to more sophisticated services. I'm going to get to this now because this is what I want to talk to and talk about. Initially, Fargo's will let users check credit limits and search for specific transactions by date or amount or type. Fargo will access a user's bank data, including a customer's credit card checking, savings, and lending accounts. In the future, Fargo will expand to other products and services, and Fargo will also draw on insights gleaned from its conversations with the customer in addition to a customer's spending patterns and behaviors. And then says next year, Fargo will offer Spanish language capabilities. It'll also take a more proactive role in guiding customers toward financial wellness by leveraging predictive analytics to enable meaningful conversations that learn and adapt to each individual customer, the bank's announcement said. I know they're talking about Spanish language capabilities, but they also had a third language in there, which is bank ease. So let me just read that again. It'll take a more proactive role in guiding customers towards financial wellness by leveraging predictive analytics to enable meaningful conversations that learn and adapt to each individual customer. There's no commas, and that's one giant sentence. You know what that means? Let me translate it in English. Sales, 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 new products, new accounts, sales, sales. <laughs> I, I, did you really need to, a proactive role in guiding customers towards financial wellness by leveraging analytics to enable meaningful conversations? The meaningful conversations are all about sales. The meaningful conversations are all about new accounts. Let's not lie here. The virtual assistant is not there to make life easier for the customer. It's because sales pitches don't work. Whenever you have a teller say, Mr. Johnson, I realize you don't have a credit card with us. Well, we got the Wells Fargo blah, blah, blah credit card and 0% interest for 12 months. I've been told no a million times in my life. When someone tells me no, and it sounds very pervish, but when I hear a no, I just, I, I hear a, a yes, but not right now. I know that sounds fucking gross, but that's just, that's just the way that I was taught at Bank of America. Those things don't work. And if you have that same customer that goes, no, I'm not interested. And then the next time they go, you know, Mr. Johnson, you still have this credit card offer available. No, I said no. So you get Mr. Johnson onto the Fargo version of the Wells Fargo app. And then he's looking, like, what's my balance? Oh, travel. And then Fargo, the virtual assistant, you know, either says it out loud or by text. Mr. Johnson, you seem to be traveling a lot. Did you know that you can save X amount of dollars by using this travel credit card? And you could have earned... $252 in rewards, which you could have used for the holidays. That person is not going to say no to the virtual assistant. He's going to read that. And he's like, son of a bitch. I could have saved this much money if I would have used this card. I would have got this much in rewards. Fuck that. Let's apply. And he hits a couple buttons. He applies. He gets approved for it. Guess what? The teller doesn't get the referral sale. The banker doesn't get the referral sale. Wells Fargo gets to make a fuck ton of money opening up credit cards and new products for people using this virtual assistant. I know I sound like the old fogey or whatever. This virtual assistant is going to take jobs from Wells Fargo employees. Because it's going to do the one thing that banks want you to do when you work inside a bank branch and or a call center or whatever and that's sell people bullshit well you know what if they don't want to hear your sales pitch it's going to be just glaring at them anytime they use the app and that's a one-to-one -one conversation that the person doesn't have to answer out loud they don't have to discuss their finances with people behind them waiting in line 
because sometimes that affects sales too. It's like the long teller line can affect sales because they're like, well, I want, I'm interested, but you guys are busy. The whole point the branch is there is to help the person with that, not to help with teller work. So the virtual assistant is basically going to replace the sales pitch at banks, which, you know, bank employees are like, oh, great, I don't have the sales pitch anymore. Well, yeah, that's great because you're not going to be fucking working there anymore because guess what? Wells Fargo is going to close branches or eliminate positions based on how successful Fargo is. Just like how successful Erica is. The other day, they celebrated Erica having 1 billion interactions. Well, there's only 67 million customers at Bank of America. So if you do the math on that, that's basically 16 interactions for every customer at Bank of America. And yes, we know some people don't use the app. Some people don't use the virtual assistant. So that means there's some people who probably have 100 interactions with Erica, which means they probably got sales pitch in a direct or indirect way 30 times out of that 100. And how many new accounts did that, that you know turn into? I don't know the answer to that, but I guarantee you it's a lot. And I guarantee you that the bank is, you know, reaping the profits off of that. But basically creating someone who can kind of identify those cues that they used to pay bankers for. The visual cues and the, the inflection in voice and whatnot to see, hey, this person needs an account. This person needs a credit card. Well, your actions on the app are going to be told to Fargo and Fargo is basically going to say, hey, you know what, you can really use this right now, and here's why. And that person's going to read, and that person's going to see how easy it is. They're never going to go to the bank again. And Wells Fargo is going to continue to create new accounts, and they're going to make a shit ton of money. And guess what? Those associates, yeah, you know, we, we no longer need this branch. It turns out that a lot of people in this area use Fargo, the virtual assistant that's on the Wells Fargo app. So we regret to say that we are closing the branch, but we feel empowered that our customers are still going to be served. Just another way to get rid of your jobs, my friends. I like technology. I like where it's going. I like how it's evolving into these new cool things that we didn't have before. But you got to realize when they talk about leveraging conversations, important conversations, using analytics, whatever, it's all sales, 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 sales. That's all those words are to me. All those buzzwords mean we're going to sell you a bunch of shit. That's all that it means. So think twice before you use those virtual assistants and understand one thing. Just because a person's not saying it face-to-face doesn't mean that the bank is not doing what they can to aggressively oversell you on shit that you may not need. There's some stuff that you probably would do better with, but a lot of stuff is there simply for goals and quotas for banks to record record profits for their shareholders. Period. End of story. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up here. It's James Baca, known professionally as the Notorious Banker, signing off. You can find me at thenotoriousbanker.com, including all the links to my books that are available on Amazon, my YouTube channel, and so much more in this podcast course. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. Please leave a comment saying how awesome you think this podcast is. And follow me at Notorious Banker on TikTok, at BankBetterGuy on Twitter, and at Notorious Banker on Instagram. I'm going to try to write some of this book today. My wife isn't here, so I have three hours into this office alone. I'm going to try my damnedest to get this shit done. So we're going to get it done. We're going to publish this book about Zell, and we're going to make a lot of money, and we're going to change a lot of lives, my friends. Until we meet again, my name is James Baca, known professionally as a notorious banker, signing off, saying I'll be back, back with another podcast in a few days or as breaking news warrants. But in the meantime, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. And you have yourself a great day. Goodbye.